Good morning, everybody. We discussed how we're going to do that transition, and I, I told her she should do it like a news anchor and be like, all right, Nick, over to you. You know, like kind of do it like that, but uh, that's our version. I hope you're well, wherever you find yourself um, this morning. So thankful for my family. So thankful for our incredible team, tech team that shows up uh, even when you cannot to be able to host experiences for all of us in our homes. And I know that you feel it because I feel it uh, even being able to be in this space. Uh, what we believe is the anointing of God. It's the presence of God. It's that it factor that we talk about. Uh, even last week when we talked about it, that thing that can't even describe it, but there's something that happens uh, when the worship leaders lift their voice and lead us in more than just songs or Christian karaoke, uh, but from a position of a heart of worship, it impacts us on a soul level. Even when my sister talks, as she's sharing what we believe to be true. There's something that resonates with that. And uh, I'm trusting wherever you're at that uh, your life is continuing to get better and better and better. And I hope that you're well. And look forward to the day that we could see each other uh, up close and personal really, really soon. I want to say happy Memorial Day weekend to everybody. And I trust that you're having a great weekend with your families. I want to say to those of you, too, uh, sometimes in our culture, because everything's so fast-paced, uh, we can think of holidays like this and miss out on their meaning. And if you have a loved one who has served our country in the military, and perhaps they lost their life. And this is a weekend um, that maybe for you is a, is, is a lot harder than for a lot of people. I want you to know that we remember with you that their life is not wasted or forgotten. Uh, but for us as the American people, as your church, uh, we say thank you. And it matters to us that you had a loved one who was willing to lay down his life for people he didn't even know so that we could be free, we could live a life of freedom. There is nothing more Christ-like uh, than this, being willing to lay down your life for your friends. And so I want you to know this weekend, if maybe you are hurting and maybe you are kind of having a tough time, we remember and we say thank you to you and to your families for the sacrifice uh, that you've made. I also want to say to those of you that may be wondering, you know, when are we going to be able to gather up close and personal? I know a lot of you have heard different things in the news, different press statements uh, released and things of that nature. And I just want to assure you that my dad, who's our lead pastor and our leadership team, uh, they're taking this matter very seriously, having discussions about it. Uh, specifically because we're a larger church. And what that means is we have a lot of different people with a lot of different opinions and a lot of different backgrounds, different age ranges, people with families, people who don't have families. And so it's a complex issue. So it's important uh, that our leadership really talks through this, seeks God's help and God's direction. And uh, I just would ask you that you would trust the leadership of this church, just as I do, as we're looking to my dad and our team, uh, to really just be influenced by God, to know what is the, the way forward. And here in the next uh, short week or so, you'll be hearing about our plan to reopen and the phases and all that kind of stuff as you kind of hear uh, in our day-to-day -day life. And so continue to be encouraged. Uh, when are we, when are we going to reopen is the wrong question because we never closed and we're still open and we're still gathering. It just looks a little bit different. And don't get me wrong, looking forward to the day when we can hug each other and shake each other's hands. Uh, we're going to continue to walk that road out with wisdom and trust that God's going to do something special in our life, even as a result of this. I'm believing that God's going to do something special in your life today. I believe that I have something to say that can absolutely transform the way that you think, the way that you live. And I don't want this just to be just another moment in church, yeah, even as we've gathered and, and watched maybe around our computer screens or tablets or cell phones. Uh, I want God to be able to access our hearts from an open position of just expectation. I think sometimes that's the best way to approach faith. Uh, which is belief in stuff that we don't even know exists, but there's something in our heart compels us to follow this way that we know it's truth. And so regardless of what your background is, I'm going to ask that you pray with me right now, maybe with your families or as you're watching, maybe prayer is something that's new to you, but it's kind of a way of just opening your heart to God. Um, 
sometimes just taking a deep breath and saying, God, I'm here. Would you speak to me in a way that only you can? I know that you're going through stuff. I know that your internal world can be complex. I know that you can be plagued and consumed with questions and smile good and encourage each other, but I know that we're all searching for answers. And the thing that I know about God is he has this way of answering questions beyond the words and the articulation that I use. He can go on, go beyond the words that I speak and I communicate today and give you the answers that you need. What it requires of us is an open heart of expectation. So can we pray together? I'll lead you. I'll lead you in prayer. You just close your eyes right where you're at. And I'm going to pray, God, today, wherever the sound of my voice is being heard, God, I ask that you would use the words that I speak and you would go beyond my articulation and communication straight to the heart of the matter, straight to anxious hearts, straight to burdened hearts, straight to questioning hearts, straight to weary souls, weary minds, weary bodies, weary families people who have been restless. God, would you anchor us today? Would you give us hope today? Would you give us help today? Would you do, God, what only you can do today? Even in this medium of technology, God, would, would, we, would we feel you tangibly today? God, that's my prayer, that we would experience you even in these next few moments in a real, God, in a very present, tangible way today. Would you speak to us? In Jesus' name, everybody say it. Amen, amen. Well, I have a lot to say today, so I'm going to talk through a lot of different things, maybe talk fast at times. I encourage you maybe to take out uh, your cell phone. If you're not using it, take out a piece of paper, if you still know what that is, and jot down some notes, and go back and listen to this uh, several different times. I'm going to continue along some of the subject matter that I spoke briefly on last weekend, uh, but I really believe that uh, it's, it's going to kind of unlock some things for you as it pertains to your understanding of some of these topics. And I want to kind of just lay out the, the text that we're going to pull from uh, today in the book of Genesis, chapter 26. Abram has a son named Isaac, and uh, during this passage of Scripture that we're going to pick up, there's been a famine in the land. Things have run out. Life hasn't been as it always been. And when the famine happens, Isaac is wanting to get out of here. I need out of here. i got to find help somewhere. Some of you may feel like that today as you feel like you're going through somewhat of a famine. You may feel like, I need a new job. I need a new relationship. I need something new to kind of kick my life back into gear. This is how he feels. Well, God stops him as he's about to leave and run off and start something new. And he, and he tells him, I want you to stay right where you're at because, in fact, I'm going to bless you right where you're at. So we pick up the story in verse 6 uh, where Isaac decides to stay. And it says this, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. And the, when the men of that place asked about his wife, just track with me. When they asked about his wife, he said to them, she's my sister. Because he was afraid to say she's my wife. Because here's what he thought. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she's beautiful. Verse 8 says, when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and he saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. He told him it was, it was his sister. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she's really your wife. Why did you say to us that she's your sister? So Isaac responded, answered to him, because I thought that I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this that you have done to us? One of the men might as well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon all of us. So Abimelech gave orders to all of the people. And here's what he said. Anyone who harms this man or his wife will surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops then in that land, as the secret's kind of been revealed. And the same year, he ended up reaping a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became not just rich, but the Bible says very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines, now they turn around and they envy him. 
The Bible says, so all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father, Abraham, the Philistines, stopped them up. They, they plugged up his wells, filling them with earth so they could no longer produce water. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, you got to move away from us because you've become too powerful for us. So Isaac packs up his stuff and he moves away from there. And the Bible says he encamps in the valley of Gerar where he settled. He reopens the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines, Philistines had stopped up Abraham, uh, after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given him. Verse 19 said, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. Pay attention to this. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, this water is ours. So Isaac names the well Isek because they disputed with him. And so he digs another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he names this one Sitna. And he moves on from there and he digs another well. Here, no one quarrels over it. So he names this one Rehoboth. Uh, saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Don't be afraid for I am with you. I will bless you. I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So here, what the Bible says is Isaac built an altar there. And he called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech, who used to hate him, comes to him from Gerar. With his personal advisor and the commander of his forces. And Isaac, Isaac asked them, why have you come to me? Since you were hostile to me, you sent me away. They answered and said, but now we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let's make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm just as we did not harm uh, you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully, so they say. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went peacefully. That day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug, and here's what they said. We have found water. If we could rewind the past several months of everything that we have faced and everything and we've experienced, there's no way that we could have ever, any of us, imagined that we would be in this position. You could have guesses, you know, whatever you want to have guesses about, but to know that it would feel like this, to know that it would be like this, to know maybe the highs, the good things that would come from this and how we'd have more time with our family together and how we'd have a new shaped perspective on life and church and be thankful for things that we used to take took for granted. We could see the good, but, good, but, but we could have never also predicted the bad. And I think there's a lot of people today, and I think even in the midst of what you're facing, I think we may have a little bit of understanding at this point as to how the situation has affected us externally, but I think we're still yet to find out how this entire situation has really affected us internally, because it has. I don't know if you know this, but just in the state of California alone, recent studies have come out that just in the past four weeks, think about this, just in the past four weeks, there have been more suicide attempts in the past four weeks than there normally are in the span of an entire year. What am I talking about? This situation has not just affected the ins and outs of our life on the outside. It's affected the ins and outs of our life on the inside. People are confused. People are anxious. People are weary. And we're smiling, trying to act like, okay, life must go on. But there's so many of us, there's so many of you in different quarters of your life, different spaces of where your life may be, in so many different places, teenagers to people who are retired, living in, in, in care facilities, even watching me today, that you're going through the same internal turmoil. 
And it's not just people who are far from God. It's people who have faith in God. Just recently, a pastor shot and killed himself, ended his life in the midst of all of this craziness that's going on. And nobody really knows the answer of the complexities of the soul of what they were really dealing with. Everybody who experienced these issues, I was talking with just another family just days ago who had a son who was an incredible talent, an artist. When you look at his art, just absolutely incredible. They're the picture-perfect family, uh, a family that had five boys, and, and they're raising their kids, and all of a sudden this life of the party son ends up taking his own life, and they don't have a whole lot. We never would have thought, they said. We never would have thought, and I think so many of us don't, don't let that statement really hit home. These are people's dads. These are people's moms. These are people's brothers. These are people's sisters. These are people's cousins. These are people's family. And I, I think a lot of times we don't address it. We don't really give into it. We see the statistics. We see the studies. We know what we're feeling inside, but we don't really know how to bring articulation to it because if we're honest, we really don't know what's going on. We just know that on the inside, I'm really not okay. I mean, I'm busy, I'm running at a pace, but if I'm honest with you, I'm a little bit weary, I'm a little bit tired, I'm a little bit confused. And I think there's a lot of different reasons. I think that it's a complex issue. I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all issue. I think we can talk about mental health. I think that we need to. I think there's a lot of different things that we need to talk about and we need to. But here's one thing that I do know for sure along this subject that I brought up last week about authenticity. I, I think one of the greatest causes of anxiety in the human race is the lack of authenticity. I think one of the greatest causes of the burdens that you are facing today on the inside that make you feel like you're tied up in knots is a lifestyle that is adverse to a life of authenticity. What am I talking about? People who have not freed themselves to be themselves. You heard what I'm talking about? People who have not freed themselves to be themselves. Because here's, here's the fact, folks. Li life is hard either way. Life has stresses either way. You will never avoid stress as it pertains to life because it's a part of the human experience. There's always going to be things in your life that you don't want to do. There's always going to be mountains that you, that you have to climb. There's always going to be things that you have to face in your life. Actually, this is why God gave you a passion. God gave you a passion because passion is for solving problems. Have you ever noticed this? When I'm living life in accordance with my passion, which is the thing that makes me me, which is my authenticity, which is me running, in the, when I freed myself to be me, is it that I don't have stress? No, it just doesn't it seem, though, that that stress, stress weighs a lot lighter? Why? Because I'm activating the thing in me, even though I'm taking on problems, even though I'm facing adversity, even though I'm going through seasons that I'd really not rather be going through, there's something about me that causes me to stand a little bit taller and take on this mountain and square my shoulders. Unless, unless the living, the life that I'm living, I actually signed up for because of the pressures of people and paychecks that other people told me I had to live, rather than embracing the life that I knew was meant for me. I, I challenge you today. And I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm talking to the man who you've sought counseling and you've sought counsel and you've tried prescription medication and you still can't figure out what is going on on the inside of me. Are you living the life that you want to be living? I'm not talking about do I get to do everything that I want to do and it's a free. I'm talking about when you get down to the core of who you are, when you pull back the layers of that onion, so to speak, and you get deep down to are you activating your God-given passion? Because if not, maybe that's why you're plagued with anxiety. See, authenticity is one of the greatest gifts that God gave to you. This is why Christ continually in his message to humanity, he continues to not just talk about the world. Who does he talk about? He talks about you. 
I have come that you may have life in abundance to the full till it overflows, a better life than you have ever dreamed. Everything that God does is for you because he has crafted you as you. If you could ever believe that God has given you something so spectacular, you would get a new sense of confidence in your life. Not that you are never going to have, but you would understand that nobody can do the things that you do like you do them. God has crafted you and created you so specifically. I've been talking about this. The fact that your fingerprint, think about the simplicity of something that he could have just overlooked. I mean, something that you don't ever even really consider in your day-to-day life. The fact that the print of your finger is different than every single human that walks on the face of this planet out of the billions and billions of people. And we haven't ran out of options. And yet somehow I want to think that my passions are just accidental, that the things that are in me that kind of eat at me and it's like fire shut up in my bones and I know I'm chasing the money and I know I'm doing real estate and I know I'm trying to build a big company and I know that I'm trying to do all of these things that the trajectory of my society tells me to do, but there's something on the inside of it and you you think that it's accidental? If God didn't overlook things that you would overlook... I'm talking about your fingerprint. How much more are the passions that he has crafted and placed on the inside of you if you could ever tap into? This is actually the key to your success. So then why is it so hard to walk in authenticity? Well, I think I, I got to break this down. Here's where I want you to start maybe taking notes and tracking with me. First of all, you got to understand that it's impossible for me to walk in authenticity until I've reconciled my identity. Okay? I want you to think about this. It's impossible for me, this is really important because... It's really easy to get up and say, just be authentic, just be authentic, just be you, okay? But, but why is that so hard? Because it's impossible for me to live a life of authenticity until I've reconciled my identity. Because identity and authenticity are two different things, okay? Identity and authenticity are two different things. What is identity? Identity is who I am, okay? Identity is who I am. What is authenticity? Authenticity is using who I am to become the person I'm supposed to become, Okay, two different things. Identity is who I am. Authenticity is using who I am to become the person that I'm supposed to become. Why? This is the challenge of being who you are, right? Because you are ever-changing. God created you to evolve. You're not the same person that you were five years ago. Some of you weren't the same person you were five minutes ago, right? Let's be real. This is how we advance and we evolve. So, so, So how do I be authentic? The first thing that I have to do before I can actually use who I am to my advantage to discover the person that I'm supposed to be, to not just be stagnant and content with everything that I am today, I need to be able to press on and to be a better person and be a better person for my tomorrow. But I can't do that until I get the foundation right. It's like building a house. If I go in just trying to be authentic, I'm trying to set up a bunch of two by fours where there hasn't been a foundation that's been poured. You tracking with me? The first thing that I have to do is I have to reconcile my identity. Who am I? Who, who At the core of who I am, who am I? And here, this is the big cosmic question, right, that everybody seems like we're so confused by it. Who am I? The, the reality is you already know who you are. Nobody has to tell a bird it's a bird. Nobody has to tell a dog it's a duck. Nobody has to tell a duck it's a duck. They all know what they are. You know what you are because it's how God created you. The challenge in life is we get calloused. We get calloused by the different things that we experience, and we have a tendency to forget who we are. We allow things to blind us from who we are. It's like if I ha- like when I lift weights. If I lift weights, eventually right here on, on the palm of my hand, there's a pad that grows. And actually this part of my skin can't even feel, it doesn't even feel pain anymore because it has calluses. Does it mean that my skin can't feel pain? No, it just means that I've d- developed calluses. i got to get underneath the calluses to figure out what's going on. Life is a way of doing this. And you have a tendency to lose who you are. 
You lose who you are, and I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. You lose who you are, first and foremost, because your identity, for some people, it's been hidden. Okay? Sometimes I lose sight of who I am, identity, because my identity has been hidden. When these guys come to Isaac, what does he say? He says about his wife, it's not my wife, it's my sister. He, he, he hides who he really is. And he hides who he really is for the same reason that all of us hide who we really are. The text says that he was afraid that they would kill him. He was afraid. How much of our lives do we allow who we are to be hidden? For over what? Because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what happens if I'm really honest about the things that I like, if I'm really honest about my passions, really honest about my interests, really honest about the things that, I, that, 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 that drive me. What I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what? I'm afraid it might kill the relationship. I'm afraid it might disappoint the people around me. I'm afraid that, that maybe my mom or my dad will be disappointed, that my siblings will be. I'm afraid that I might lose my job. So while I fear the external thing, I settle for a life where I'm dying inside. Do you hear what I'm saying? Something's going to die. Something's going to have to be given the opportunity. Sometimes you have to put yourself out there to say, I'm going to risk being willing to be honest about who I am. And maybe I lose what's on the outside. But for God's sakes, I can't lose what's on the inside. Because what's on the inside is everything that I have. We hide things because we're afraid. And most of the time it's with a good intention. He was afraid. He just didn't want to hurt nobody. I, I don't want people to get hurt in the process, so maybe if I can just keep the peace, things can just keep going on smoothly. We do this all the time. We alter ourselves. We edit ourselves to make other people comfortable. And I, I get social cues. I get being a good person. I get all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to realize that if you're going to be the person that you are put on the face of the planet to be, to actually walk into a life of authenticity, you have to reconcile your identity. You did not choose to be the way that you are. And when I, when I talk about your, you didn't choose your passions. You didn't choose your interests. You didn't choose the fact that you're into art. You didn't choose the fact that you're into passion, uh, uh, fashion. You didn't choose the, the fact that you're into architecture or you like books or you just want to be a stay-at-home mom. These are things. Somebody put them there. How long will you hide them? If your identity has been hidden, what do I do? I have to find a way to be honest. The cure for a hidden identity is honesty. You hear me? The cure for, the, 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 the cure for a hidden identity is honesty. I have to be willing sometimes to make myself vulnerable and know that I will make people around me maybe possibly even disappointed. But do you know that everybody is fighting for the same things that you do? The people that you admire are people who have owned their identity. They know who they are. They're unapologetic about who they are. So why do you edit who you are to make the people who are unapologetic about who they are happy? The reason that you respect them and you admire them is because you see an it factor on their life. And you know where that it factor comes from? Being unapologetically them. Sometimes my identity just gets hidden. Others of you, your identity doesn't get hidden. Here's, what, here's how you lose yourself. Your identity gets hijacked. Taking notes, write that down. Your identity can get hidden or your identity can get hijacked. What am I talking about? I knew who I was until I let them get in my head. <laughs> I, I, I knew what made me me until I let the disappointment get on the inside of me. I, I knew what I was here to do until they told me no, and then they told me no again, and then they told me no again, and then they told me no again, and then I started to question who I was. It's not that my identity has been hidden. It's that my identity has been hijacked. 
Isn't it funny when, when Isaac begins to walk in his authenticity, he comes clean with the bag, okay, she's not my sister, she's my wife. All of a sudden, things start working again. Things start flourishing. It says he becomes rich. He becomes very rich to the point that they get mad. But isn't it funny they don't just get mad and kick him out? You know what the text says? They go and they stop up his wells. What am I talking about? They hijack the thing that has made him the thing. They hijack the thing that has made him a man of authenticity, something that has been passed down to the lineage of his family. They plug up his wells because here's the thing about people. If people can't contain you, they'll always try to control you. You need to understand this. This is the way that it works. This, and well-meaning people, everybody wants the best for you. But if they can't contain you, they'll try to control you. And once they start controlling you, they hijack the person that you were meant to be. So you lose your identity and you, can, you never have the potential of living a life of authenticity. You hear what I'm saying? So the plus, some of you, it's not that your authenticity has been hidden, it's that it's been hijacked. You used to know that you were into arts and music until your dad told you that wasn't a very masculine thing to do. What happened? Somebody stopped up your wells. Somebody stopped, somebody stopped up your wells. You used to believe in the miraculous until you prayed and that person died of cancer and you let somebody stop up your wells. You used to trust men until that man that you trusted betrayed your trust. And you allowed someone to stop up your wells. You used to be an honest person, and honesty was everything about you until you realized that you experienced more judgment for your honesty than you ever did for your lies. What am I talking about? You allowed somebody to stop up your wells. You allowed your identity to be hijacked. Business owners, you know what this is like. Some, if people can't contain you, they'll try to control you. This is where you'll have people who are in your business, and you have a vision for the business. You know where it's supposed to go, but all of a sudden people start getting in your head, and they're not on the same pages with you, and you don't deal with that stuff, and all of a sudden you'll, you'll have this uprising where people try to contain things and try to control things and try to manipulate things, and all of a sudden they'll have this vision that you know what God was saying, and here's what it was supposed to be, and it'll end up over here in left field. Why? Because somebody hijacked your identity. So if my identity has been hidden, it requires honesty. If my identity has been hijacked, you know what it requires? It requires healing. And I'm going to pray for you at the end of this service today. But there's some of you, in order for you to be able to, you got to hear me today. There's some of you, in order for you to walk into the life that God has created you, you have stopped up wells in your life. You have allowed to be hijacked by other people, and it's time to go back and redig those wells. There's been elements of you that you have lost. For some of you, there's spiritual dynamics. It's things of prayer. It's spiritual devotion that people told you you didn't need anymore. But those were things that made you you. You need to go back and you need to undig those wells. There's people that have given up on dreams as it pertains to you knew. That you, listen to me. Look in my eyes. You knew. There was a point in your life where you knew. Where you talked about it, there was emotion that came up from your belly. You couldn't say the words without your eye, your tear ducts getting, getting water. You, you, you knew until they got in your head, until the failure got in your head. So it didn't work out in the timeline, in the timeline until time, time who, whose head has time gotten in? Did you hear me? Whose head has time gotten in? You think it's just too late because you're too old. What do I need? I need healing. I need to unplug some wells. Why? So that I get the foundation. Okay, you're tracking with me. Once I own my identity, then I can actually walk into my authenticity. I can apply a lifestyle of authenticity. Again, remember, identity is who I am. Authenticity is using who I am to become the person that I'm supposed to become. I think most people misunderstand authenticity because we don't get how it works. Authenticity is not something I can just choose to be authentic today and then forever I'm authentic. Authenticity is a journey. 
And if you don't know that authenticity is a lot like digging, you'll always be disappointed when you try to live the life and encounter things you weren't expecting. Because the thing about digging is you don't know what's under the ground. When I embark on a life of authenticity, which I'm telling you is your greatest asset, everybody else that you can learn, everybody can learn plans and procedures and strategies and and, 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 and architecture for success. We, we can learn all of those things, but the thing that they can't do that you can do is on the inside. It's, it's your greatest asset. But I can't walk in authenticity if I don't know how it works. And you have to know the thing, the reason why most people don't live a life of authenticity and settle for the life that they think that they have to live, which is pleasing people and paychecks. The reason most people settle for this life is because they don't understand the journey. They don't understand that adversity, while it is your greatest asset, boy, is it, just, is it also a troublemaker. Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a troublemaker because here's the thing about authenticity. Authenticity causes adversity. The, by, the, <laughs> the byproduct of authenticity is you're going to experience adversity. The reason most of the time is because people around you have trouble with authentic people because they're living the life that they wish that they had the courage to live themselves. Okay? So, so what type of adversity? Now, I want you to take these notes. I'm going to try to get through this quickly so we can, so we can wrap up today. Authenticity is going gonna, is gonna to bring about adversity. Here's, here's two types. Specifically with people. When I choose to live an authentic life, I'm going to experience adversity. And here's what I'm going to experience. I'm going to experience arguments, number one, and attacks, number two. Okay, sounds crazy, right? Remember, you're dealing with problems either way. You're dealing with problems either way. When I choose to live a life of authenticity, I'm engaging my passion. This helps me push through problems. It makes the problems way less. You're dealing with problems either way. You're going to experience arguments, and you're going to experience attacks. He goes to dig the first well, right? He, he steps out after they've kicked him out. He starts to dig the first well. The text says that there was water, but there was a dispute. So in other words, it started to produce, but in this place of trying to be authentic, there was a dispute. There was an argument, and he calls it that. It was an argument. The second place he goes, he digs, and there's water, and, here, and here's what happens. He says there wasn't just the word, if you dig into the word, it wasn't that it was just an argument, is that it was attack. It was an attack. Meaning, there's, how, do, how do I know the difference? An argument is the result of people just being people. When you step out to live an authentic life, not everybody's going to be on the same page with it because everybody has a different normal. Meaning, everybody has different opinions about what we should do with our lives. And it doesn't mean that you're right and that I'm wrong. It just means that we're different. Sometimes when you step out to live a life, an, an authentic life, you're going to have arguments because everybody's different. Other times, you're going to step out and there's going to be an attack. It, what, what's, what's the difference? Arguments are just people fighting for their own way. An attack is people fighting against your way. It's different. So it's different. I'm, I'm fighting for me. I'm just fighting for what I think's right. An attack is I'm fighting against you. What do I do when I step out to live an authentic life and I experience in my life arguments, disputes, and attacks? Here's, here's what you got to do. The first thing that you got to do, write this, write this down if you take it. You got to name it. What am I talking about? You got to call it what it is. At both places, he calls it different things. The first one, he calls it a word that actually means argument or dispute. The second one, he actually calls it, and he calls it, this is not a dispute. This was a straight-out attack. Why, do I, why is it important that I name conflict when I go through it? Listen to what I'm about to say. Because if I don't call it what it is, in my future, I will remember it as something that it wasn't. Did you hear what, I'm, did you hear what I said? If I don't call it what it is when I'm experiencing, in my future, I'll remember it as something that it wasn't. How many people have you ever heard, oh, if they, they betrayed me, they did this wrong, they did that. If we could go back, we would, it wouldn't have been that way if they wouldn't have. All of a sudden, you start, you start wait, wait a second, that isn't what happened. Because if you don't call it what it is in the future, you remember it as something that it wasn't. You've got to call it what it is so that you know your position 
Also, here's the other thing that it does. It puts you in a position when these people come back around to you to know how to deal with them. If it's an attacker or somebody that you just had an argument with. i got to be able to call it what it is. What's the second thing that I do? After I call it what it is, after I name it. So when I get down the road, I'm not, I'm not blaming it on anything else other than what it actually was. We just didn't see eye to eye or it was a straight up attack. Here's the second thing that i got to do. After I name it, I have to move on. And this is counterintuitive. Because when, I, when I'm trying to be authentic and I experience things where I feel like we're just disagreeing, or we're I want to fight. And yet when we look at the situations, in both cases, Isaac does what? He moves on. Really? Why? Because it's really not as big of a deal as you think that it is. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. You think, but I want to fight. And a lot of you in this season, as you're trying to be authentic, there's disputes. People fighting over territories, people fighting over lands, people fighting over leases and loans and money. And you want to get engaged. You want to give people a piece of your mind. I'm here to tell you, I'm here, I believe I'm sent by God to tell you this. Don't do it, it's not worth it. Don't do it, it's not worth it. Don't, because here's the thing, your battle's not against flesh and blood. But I want to fight, yeah. But you have to fight the fight that is right. And the fight that is right is not the fight to be right. You, you have to, what is, what is the right fight? Walking away from people who have plagued you or have done you wrong is not the hard thing. You know what the hard thing is? The next well that he digs. He goes and he finally digs another well, and it says this time when he dug this well, there was no dispute. What? There was no dispute. So, so when, when he goes, there's, there's no argument, right? There's no adversity. There's no attack. So he digs in this place, but there's no adversity, but it also doesn't say there is any water. What am I talking about? When you step out to be you, and yeah, there's no adversity, but it also seems like there's no opportunity. You tracking with me? When I step out to be me, and when I step out to be me, and I know this was in my heart to start this business, to start this blog, to go after this thing, to start this whatever it is in my heart, to be better to my family, to be better to my parents, to be better to my husband, to be better to my wife. I stepped out to do this thing, and yeah, there was an adversity, but it also seems like it's a flop because there was no opportunity. What do I want to do when that happens? Usually I want to go back and start fighting some fights. Usually I want to go back, okay, if it's not working here, let me go back and give them a piece of my mind. Maybe Because a lot of times it's easier to fight the fight that I can see than to trust God and fight the fight that I can't see. The enemy and the adversary, the emptiness, the place that it seems like it's not working. What is the greater fight? When, when, when he looks at this well that he's dug and there is no water, there is no opportunity, but there is no adversity. You know what he does? He does the same thing that he did with the other, other two wells. What do I do when I dig and I experience adversity? i got to name it. i got to call it what it is. What are you calling the situations in your life where it seems like it's not working? Because you know what I would want to call it after I've already been through the person who we've had an argument, and I've already been through the person that tried to attack me, and I get here and I try again, and there's nothing here. You know what I want to do? You know what I want to call that well? I want to call that well, God forgot me this time. You know what I want to call that? Well, I guess God, I guess God is not going to take care of me, so I guess i got to go back and take care of myself. You have a fight to fight, but you know what your fight is? Your fight is a fight of faith. What is that? I'm, I'm fighting for, I'm calling those things that be not as though they were. It's funny because in this opportunity when he could have turned and said, God is not here, God does not show up. You know what he turns and he says, he says, God, let me, let me read it to you. This is his response. He, he dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. There was no adversity, but there was no opportunity. And of all the things that he could have named it, here's what, here's what he said. Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in this land. 
God has given us room and we will flourish in this land. When it doesn't look like it, when it doesn't seem like it, when it doesn't feel like it, what are you calling those types of situations? What are you calling the situations when you've been working on reconciling your relationship with your kids for years and it's still not working? What are you calling the situations when you've been trying to reconcile and advance your business for years and it seems that the, the, the place you are finally making celebrities, all of a sudden you experience this situation? What do you do when there is no longer adversity but there is no opportunity? I'm here to tell you, you have to decide what you call it. You have to decide what you call it and then do what? I have to move on. I have to move on to where? To continue to trust God, to fight the right fight. Not the fight of flesh and blood, not the fight. Of, can I tell you, people are not your problem. I know you want to think that they are, but they're not your problem. The problem is not politics and policies. The problem is not people who hurt you or did your bad. People, the problem is not your parents or, or your overseers or your spiritual advisors. No, no, no. This, the Bible says that this battle is not against flesh and blood. This, this battle is between your ears. This is a fight. It's a fight of what? It's a fight of faith. Even when I can't see, I choose to believe. When he calls it a place of opportunity, God shows up. God tells him, you're right. You're right. You were right from moving on from the arguments. You were right from moving on from the attacks. <laughs> you, you, you were right. You were right for calling this place what I see this place as, a place of opportunity. A place where God will flourish us and God will bless us. He says, I'm surely going to bless you. And in that place, the Bible says that Isaac, you know what he does? He builds an altar. What do I do when I'm trying to live a life of authenticity, but I'm experiencing adversity? I move on past the arguments. I move past the attacks. I move on past the places where it seems like things aren't working. And what do I have to do? What is the key to authenticity? Building an altar. Okay, before you go and hashtag that, put it all on your Instagram stories. Let me explain it so you know what it means. What does building an altar mean? What, what is an altar? An altar is symbolic of I'm looking to somebody higher than me to solve my problem. People would sacrifice animals, right? Why? Because they couldn't solve their sin problem. So that they needed to sacrifice these animals so that blood would be shed, so that God could come down and intervene, work in tandem with them, and solve their problem. So the nature of building an altar is that I'm looking to someone bigger than me to solve my problems. I'm looking to someone bigger than me to work with me to reconcile things that seemingly can't be reconciled. He says he builds an altar. He pitches a tent there. He sets up shop in the place of an altar. And then he digs another well. What am I talking about? When you are determined to live a life of authenticity, after you have reconciled your identity, you know what it requires of you? You gotta set up an altar. You gotta set up shop in a place of what? A place of surrender! A place where, God, how do I be me? I'm, after, I've, after I've owned, the things on the inside of me that I know you made me this way. I know you've given me these passions. I know you put this seed of greatness on the inside of me. What do I do now? I surrender. I set up shop. I set up an altar. I set up a tent and I dig a hole in the place of God. Whatever you need, wherever you want me to go, whatever you have for me, I'm not going to try to micromanage my life. I'm not going to try to figure out five steps down the road. I'm not going to try to project what you're going to do in five years or ten years. Whatever you need, God, I'm yours. Whatever you want to do, God, would you do it through me? Whatever you want to do, God, would you do it through this city? Whatever you want to do, God, would you do it through my family? Whatever you want to do, God, would you do it with me? I'm setting up my tent. I'm pitching my tent, and I'm digging a well. The place of my altar where I'm looking to God to intervene. All of a sudden, people start, the people that hate him, there's a whole other message. 
The people that hate him start coming back. We're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. And this is why it's important you name them what you name them so you know how to deal with them when they actually come back. Another message. They start coming, all of a sudden God starts putting things, now he could have went and fought those fights and it wouldn't have turned out even as good as it turned out. But when you trust God's way, he makes all, all things, all things, all things, all things work together for your good. Even the bad stuff works together for your good when you trust God. And in this place of surrender, as everything comes back, he reconciles things. And you know what his servants say? Hey, we found water. We, we, we found water. Why do you dig a well? Why do you dig a well? What are you in search of? You're in search of water. What, what is the human body made up of mostly? I didn't know that it's made up of mostly water. What existed before the creation story? The Bible says the Spirit of God hovered over the, the waters. So when I'm, I'm digging a hole, what am I in search of? I'm in search of me. I'm in search of what was before everything else became. I'm in search of who I was before there was a platform and before there was money and before there was stardom and before there was fame and before there was a trajectory. I'm in search of me. Who did you make me to be? How do I find that place? deal with my identity. And then I start digging wells. What am I talking about? How do I know who I am? Well, you can reconcile your identity, but you discover who you are over time. The key to you living the life that God has placed you here to live is to tap into your authenticity, to get to the core of who you are. For some of you here today, and I want to wrap up this, this moment together, I encourage you to go back and listen. There's, there's so much density into what I I felt I had to say today. And I want you to go back and go through it because it's more than just inspirational nuggets of preaching. I'm telling you, it's transformational content that if you can take it and actually apply it into a lifestyle, it will change your life. It's like when you, when it's A plus B equals C. You apply it into your life, it will transform your life. I gotta say this though, because I feel it by the Spirit of God. There are some of you that God is pushing you into a, God is pushing you into a place of authenticity. And the way I see it is authenticity is almost, it's an adjustment, okay? It's an adjustment. It's like a chiropractic adjustment. And there's things, for some, I think there's business owners, there's families. God is, is pushing you as an individual back to a place of authenticity, but it's an adjustment. It's like a chiropractic adjustment. For some of you, you've just been a little bit out of alignment. So this new authenticity thing, it feels really, really good. For others of you, it's painful because you've learned how to compensate for ailments that you've had in your past. What am I talking about? Stopped up wells. S something happened to you as a child and you never went back and dug with that, so you started compensating on that side. And now that God is pushing you to the understanding of the fact that the only way you can be the person that you're supposed to be is by being who I made you to be, it's making you feel uncomfortable. And the tendency will be to go back and settle for a life that everybody else wants you to live, the life that you actually think that you have to live. And I'm gonna tell you it's a lie. It's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie. Push into the pain. Somebody needs to hear this. You need to push into the pain. Woman who, who was abused by your father and you've convinced yourself your entire life that you weren't because, oh, he's a good man. It, it was abuse and, and you, didn't, you didn't ask for it. He didn't even intend it, but that's the nature of what it was. I don't know by the spirit of God who I'm talking to. Talking to. You, 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 it was your father and you have defended him. you have defended him all the way into your adult life. 
You have defended him all the way into your adult life. And when you look back on your child, no, he was, a, he was a good man. And he was a good man, but he made some mistakes because he was a human man. And you need to go back and you need to undig that well because the nature of what happened to you was abusive. And so it caused wounds and it's caused you to compensate. And you're actually carrying that into the way that you're parenting your children. And you, don't, you can't figure out for the life of you. What are these issues that I'm having with my, my kids? It has nothing to do with the dy dynamic between you and them. It has to do with the dynamic between you and your father. There's adjustments that God is bringing into this church. Uh, there's, there's chiropractic adjustments that God is, he's, he's aligning, just, just like a great physician would do. And for those of you that it feels good, I ask that you would strengthen the rest of the body. And for those of you that are hurting, I ask that you would ask for strength from the rest of the body. Maybe it looks like your job life, your business life, your family life. Here's what I know. The key to us living the life that God put us on the face of the earth to live is us tapping into the reason for which he put us here. Like novel idea, right? Like no, duh. To be unapologetically the people of God. Jesus is the answer, folks. But I hope you don't miss out on what that means. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. He didn't come so that you can fit into another system. He didn't come so that you could just cater to the ideals of man. No! He came to break your shackles. He came to break your chains. He came so that you could square your shoulders and live a life of free, authentic, unapologetic authenticity. So the children of God can rise up and take the world back over again. So the children of God can take their rightful place in a place of authority to be the people that God has called them to be. So that your money can start working again. So that your bodies can start working again. So that your spiritual, your emotional health can start working again, that the anxiety can leave, that the depression can leave, that the plagues that have plagued your mind and your family for generations and generations and generations and generations that they could be broken. I'm talking about the blessing. How? Because he who the Son sets free is free. Now be free. To what? To be everything that he made you to be. That's the message of Jesus. Be free. That's the message of Jesus. Be free. That's the message of Jesus. Be free. You're, you're, most people think that you're, you're locked up by your bad habits. You're not locked up by your bad habits. That's, a, that's an outcome of what you're really locked. You're really locked up because the real you's on the inside, and he's not being let out, so you look for ways to medicate because you're miserable. That's why you have bad habits. That's why you're an alcoholic or a drug addict or you're a sex addict or you find pleasure and other things to keep your mind off what it is that you're going. It's not that that's your vice. Your vice is way deeper than that. Be free. Be free. Be free. Be free. By the Spirit of God, I speak into your living room and I tell you to be free. By the Spirit of God, I speak into your families and I declare freedom in your marriage. I declare freedom in your mentalities. I declare freedom in the place of your business. Business leader, it's time to stand up and be the man that God has called you to be again. You've gone way too sheep. If you've gone way too limp, you've gone way too cold. It's time to square your shoulders. He didn't put you at that helm of that ship for no reason. He put there, you there for a purpose because he called you to leave. But other people are more qualified. I get that other people are more qualified. Other people are more dignified. I I get that other people are more dignified, but he didn't choose them, he chose you. He didn't choose them, he chose you. Why would he choose Moses? Why would he choose Abraham? Why would he choose these people who were not qualified, who were not dignified? Because he knew that they could be them. He knew. <laughs> if there's one thing you're comfortable being, it's a moon worshiper. Hey, I don't know about being a moon worshiper, but the fact that you're authentic, I can work with that. The fact that you know how to be free, 
I can work with that. God, I ask that you would help us. Gone way too long. God, would you help us? Would you help us in, in, in our emotional health today? Would you help unblock dams? Would you help unblock dams where there have been things blocked up, where there have been wells that have been blocked up? A lot of it not by our doing. Our identity got hijacked. People got in there. They got in our head. God, would you unblock those things so that we can be the people that you called us to be, that we can be free, that we can be who Jesus made us to be. He is the answer, but it's so much more than religious rhetoric. Uh, he is the answer, but it's so much more than religious religious rhetoric. He is the, Jesus is the answer, but it's so much more than religious rhetoric. Jesus is the answer because he's the only one that cares about your freedom. Jesus is the, nobody else cares about your freedom. Now do you hear me today? Why is Jesus the answer? Because he's the only one who cares about your freedom. Be free. We look to you today, God. Maybe you're watching today. You've never made a decision to place your faith in somebody bigger than yourself. You don't know what real freedom looks like. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can be free. You can start this journey towards reconciling your identity so that you can live a life of authenticity. How? Putting your faith in something, someone bigger than yourself. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's that easy. Would you let me do it? All across, wherever you're watching, would you say this out loud? I believe that your heart compels you to do so. I'm not going to try to talk you into it. Can you say this out loud? Would you say this with me? Say, Jesus, today I believe in my heart and I say out of my mouth, you are the Son of God. I believe that you live for me. I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you came back from the dead for me. Today I call you my Savior. And I make you my Lord. Say this, help me to live the life that you made me to live. Say this, help me to live free. In Jesus' name. Everybody say it. Right where you at, we just close your eyes. The man's going to go back and lead us in a song. Don't miss these next few moments. I believe God has done something at the core of who you are. And sometimes you just need to give yourself the gift of space to be able to breathe and open your heart and open your mind. There's a healing place, a healing moment here for you right now. People who you've had parts of your life, the wells of your life that have been stopped up. We can go to counseling. We can talk about all the things that you need to do. But I believe that there is an it factor. What am I talking, I believe there is, let me say it, there is an anointing that can happen in a moment that can unplug things that have been plugged up for a long time now. Would you close your eyes right where you're at? God, we look to you. God, we look to you today. We look to you, Jesus. We look to you, Jesus. We look to you, Jesus. Thanks for listening. If this impacted you and you'd like to partner with us, go to celebrationchurch.cc give to help us reach people with a message of Jesus. 